the move, going deep, speed race. He's got Hill! He's got Hill! From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it! Miami is in the playoffs! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, I went over the entire crop of free agents courtesy of SpotRack and just went position by position and listed 10 of my favorite players who are scheduled to hit free agency next month, and that excludes our own guys. We're going to talk about that list, content wars here a little bit, and a fun mock 2024 lineup I put together for you guys from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Off the top, real quick. So the cap is estimated to make it up around $250 million this year per a report from NBC Sports. And the original projection was in the 242 ballpark. So while, yes, every team would get that $8 million bump if that report became reality, but for us... That $8 million could go a long way towards keeping our own guys. It could be potentially three different players, three different starters that you could sign or retain if you space out the contracts because all the $8 million per player is not going to be all in that first year, right? You could definitely stretch your budget with that extra eight a little bit more. And when you have as much success as we have had acquiring premier talent, Every little bit helps, right? And you eventually have to pay the piper on that premier talent. Because remember, this is the year for Big Rob, for Christian, for Andrew Van Ginkle, a former first, second, and fifth round draft pick that had been drafted and developed into absolute studs in this program. But also, other guys we've acquired along the way, like Deshaun Elliott, a very solid first year here in Miami. Isaiah Wynn, same story prior to his season-ending injury. Connor Williams, a bigger free agent acquisition who played up to that deal, and I would say exceeded his value in that deal, is now set to hit free agency once again. Speaking of the draft, going back that way, Austin Jackson, already done. A Tua extension actually would free up money this year, most likely because those big quarterback deals tend to get you know money pushed down the back end of that contract before you rework it or re-extend it once again. Brandon Jones and Raekwon Davis both going to probably sign decent veteran deals, at least, uh, you know, for a few million bucks on the open market, I'd imagine. I mean, how about that 2020 draft class? Six players from the first three rounds. I think it's safe to say five of them will be starters on second contracts, either here in Miami or somewhere else. But then the next year, like Waddle, Phillips, and Holland, my point is when you draft that well, you eventually have to pay. And that extra $8 million is literally a year worth of a quality player or a couple of players you can kick the money down the road on and bring in two or three quality players. That could be extra money for Christian Wilkins. That could be year one entirely of Tua's new extension. That could be a full year of Javon Holland. That could be one of Robert Hunt's years. You get what I'm saying here? It's a big deal. So hopefully that does become a reality. And there's a little bit of other news in here before we get to the actual free agent primer, so to speak here. It's that Ronnie Bradford, per reports, will be a senior special teams assistant. He played DB in the NFL, was the coordinator last year on defense at Montana. And let me tell you guys that don't know about the the Northwest uh, football world, the Montana Grizz are an FCS powerhouse and their fans take football very, very seriously. So he got some football education up there. He's been an assistant in the NFL for quite a while. He was on the Broncos staff during McDaniel's first year in the NFL back in 05. So we have 
Some changes there to special teams and the defensive side of the football heading into the new year. We also added one in Parks Frazier, who was the Panthers pass game coordinator last year after working with the Colts prior to that. And I saw a pretty cool story on him about his time out of college working with the Colts. And it kind of reminds me of me a little bit. Football was the only thing he cared about. Woke up at 5.30 to get to the office, left at midnight, just grinded inundated himself with the game of football to achieve his dreams. Pretty cool. The article is called What It's Like to Be Frank Reich's Right-Hand Man on the Indie Star. Uh, Just type it into Google and you'll find it. All right, so before we get into free agency here, content wars. I talked about it on the show on Monday, but I wanted to go more into it like this. And the more I think about it, like, look, so first off, you shouldn't treat all of these podcast or, you know, air quote, content creators as like professionals, because most of them aren't. And I'm not throwing shade here. I'm just being real about it. 99% of the people that do this don't make real money off it. It's a hobby. I mean, they might be making enough to have a nice red robin date night with the missus once a year, you know, like 50 bucks. So when you raise this whole, I can't believe we're giving him a platform idea, I'm with you on that. But that's not really a platform. We understand that. Do we get that? And bragging about your YouTube subscribers, guys, it doesn't mean anything. Podcast downloads don't mean anything. Subscribers are not watchers. Listen through rate, return rate. There are several metrics that advertisers look at, and I promise you subscribers is not one they hand over checks based upon. It might help them, but they have to find out that you're actually getting your ads to the people they want to sell you. And the guy that was bragging about his following, I'm not going to name names here. He's a freaking aggregator, man. Watch his channel one time. He aggregates what other people do. That's not a creator. That's a freaking thief, man. It's what the people on Twitter that all of a sudden do per Schefter. Like, yeah, just hit the retweet button, man. I don't know. Like Twitter blue, like the Twitter model freaking sucks, man. I hate it so much. And look, Something for everybody, right? I don't get a lot of the content. I haven't watched daytime debate shows since the pandemic, and that just spoke to how bored I was. I wasn't into them then. I just had nothing to do all day. I don't take in every Dolphins podcast. I don't take in any Dolphins podcast. If I listen to one, it's going to be Kyle Krabs. I think there's another one you can learn from, too, that the Three Yards Per Carry is a good educational Dolphins podcast as well. I think there's a couple more that are fun shows, like great shows. Perfectville, for example, is a great podcast. Jake and Josh have a fun podcast. And I apologize to some out there. I haven't heard them all. Like Showtime, for instance, has a fun Twitter spaces. I've heard you guys tell me about a couple of podcasts. Oh, I can't think of the name of it right now. But there are plenty of Dolphins podcasts out there for everybody. But again, if your whole shtick, and this is going back to you know the Content Wars idea and the YouTube subscriber guy, if your whole shtick was that Skylar Thompson was the best quarterback on the roster his entire rookie year behind a guy who finished first in passer rating and then led the league in passing this year. Like, the jig is up. You've taken a path, and you have to stay in that lane. It's a grift, right? We all understand that. Don't talk about, like, you know, freaking, what is it, Candyman? Don't say the Candyman's name, and you won't find the Candyman. Plus, you know, and I go back to the Twitter platform for this, I blame Elon's lumpy ass for this. Twitter just seems to have made it so much worse with how it's evolved promoting this stuff over real actual content like you're feeding into these this negative world that we don't want to live in incentivizing people to be morons online like cool model bro i'm sure 80% of the twitter world is basically bots just spamming every tweet you have with their check check out this in my bio check out oh a perfect way to pick games like uh, it sucks, man. It, I, I miss what Twitter used to be. Yeah, it wasn't like it used to be. But also, just ignore it. 
That's really all there is to it. There's so much good Dolphins content out there. Why bother with that nonsense? And then to address the stuff that ties back to me personally here, and this is what, if you can't tell, it makes me a little bit mad. It makes me a little bit annoyed, is that I'm a propaganda machine, right? I mean, you don't listen to the show if you think that. I, I don't say this to like try to prove myself, but it's a slap in the face, man, when you just say, oh, look at his title. He can't provide honest analysis. And it goes back to, you know, uh, I don't want to name names, but someone that is I'm talking about here mentioned me as a, a non-reliable source because of my job. And he used to work for the team. You know who it is now. Like, come on, man. And first off, all of you listening to this know it's BS because, well, you've listened to the podcast this year. You've listened to where I think the, the shortcomings were all year long. But also, this is my job. I'm paid to watch coaching clinics. I'm paid to learn how to study film and then to study that film and then provide content off of it. I started doing this for the love of the game, man. And then I started to get paid for it. And I promise you, 99% of these content creators don't care to study the game at that level because it's boring unless you love doing it. So when that person discredits me or someone that watches that content discredits me because they tell the truth. Look, you can't tell the truth if you don't understand what the hell you're talking about. Like how many times are we going to let that man, I'm changing gears now, spout off some wildly incorrect nonsense and just be like, oh yeah, he's the truth teller. He tells you how it is. The things that you don't want to hear, he'll tell you that. Cool, man. That's a separate deal. And again, like, I mean, to that point, back to, you know, platforming grifters. Like, can we stop talking out both sides of our mouth? Because that's exactly what happens here. Like I thought we were rid of this in 2022, but it lasted for just one season. You, this particular individual warned us for months about capopolyps whatever the hell you say it is, how you, however you say it. And then today, that same person said the Dolphins owner can't help himself from making the big free agent splash. So it's going to happen again. Like, dude, what? What? You just say things to say them because that's not, there's not a plane of existence in this world where both of those two things can be true. To just nonchalantly throw out there that, pe that idea out there and that people that I have no idea why they haven't caught on to it yet, they lap it up and they eat it up and they spread it like wildfire and it becomes this narrative that I have to now spend time on my show addressing because I'm going to get these questions about why won't the Dolphins spend big and free agent? Like, just please stop spreading the opinions of people who clearly don't put the work in or have any idea what they're talking about. Golly. You know, and back to the idea of doing this for the love of the game. These guys don't do that, man. It's boring to do unless you love it. And so when that person discredits me or someone that watches the content discredits me because they want to tell the truth, it just drives me nuts because you, you're hiding your ignorance in this whole I tell the truth idea. And I used to write and delete tweets that I cannot send because of my job and send them to my friends and be like, hey, look at my funny I made. And I'll never, ever, ever forget a Ben Volan tweet who is a studied TD Cunningham, right? Like he's he actually paved his way with a journalism degree and worked in the field before he realized outrage and grifting was the selling point. He had a tweet once, and in fact, it was right after we just beaten Buffalo to get to 3-0 in 2022, you know, one week after 4-70-6. And, and the tweet was this. The irony of Jalen Hurts being a better pro quarterback than Mac Jones and Tua. And my response was... If I ever become so irrelevant in this space that the only way to generate engagement is to tweet shit talk about one player every day, you guys have to promise me you'll put me out to pasture. Don't believe me if I tell you I wasn't bitten. I was. I will never do that, man. I, that's that's the point of this, all this stuff. But 
really, to me, it's it's talking out both sides of your mouth, making stuff up that you clearly demonstrate you don't have an idea what you're talking about, and then it comes down to people like myself or Kyle to or, or CK to disprove the nonsense that you just threw out there because you didn't want to study up on the actual job itself. So it's tiring, boss. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there, come back and do my top 10 free agents going into late February. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go ahead and jump into the meat of this episode here. And it's been this way for decades, but is it sort of weird to anybody else that we have this kind of mix of draft, free agent events intertwined throughout this portion of the calendar? I suppose maybe there's no other way to do it given the structure of the NFL offseason, but like I will be all in on draft content next week at the Combine, but then we turn right back into free agency, and it kind of goes back and forth like that for quite a while. I suppose I only notice it as a content creator and someone whose work follows that calendar, and the reason for that prelude is that we will be flipping back to Combine draft content by the very next episode, but I've taken some time the last week or so Firing up Game Pass, getting a look at some of the vets who caught my eye on the upcoming free agency list and players I think could help us in 2024 and beyond. Now, I did use potential compensation and the financial implications of these players when selecting them. I will not, however, discuss that in the rundown of these players simply because that's just like the fourth branch of the if this, then that tree. And that to me seems like a poor use of time. So instead, I just found the players that I think are hashtag good football players and that I think you could find a specific role for the t- for them on the team and those that coincide with some of the things I thought we came up short on last year. Does that make sense? Trying to fix some of the holes here. First, there's a panic across Twitter about the cap situation, right? And I remind you that Chris Greer said this back in January. I mean, at the end of the day, we have good players here. Everyone will have a market. We're not really right now concerned about where we'll be in March salary cap wise. And then he would go on and talk about how uh, Brandon Shore and Max Napolitano have made creativity and flexibility in their contracts, which creates that flexibility for how you get in and out of deals uh, after they happen. So that's contract structure, baby. That's the flexibility of Chris Greer is speaking to. And if it's not a one-off, it's every off season. And quite frankly, the entire NFL has sort of adopted more of a short-term thinking philosophy that kind of goes along with this. Like I know a lot of you guys are my age and probably remember how it was even five years ago, where it'd be up teen billion dollars in a long-term commitment altogether. And that's where you're going to finish your career. We don't really get those deals anymore. Like you'll get three-year deals at most, it seems like, uh, for the most part when it comes to the free agent market. And then to couple that, frequently you see this idea of cost of certain needs versus available funds. And the best part of the Dolphins roster is that Tua is the quarterback, Tyreek and Waddle are receivers, 
Armstead and Austin are tackles. JP and Chubb are edges, and Jalen Ramsey's a cornerback. That's eight of our give or take top 15 players, right, in that range. Some are excluded, like Javon Holland. I'd say the combo of Zach and Christian, if 94 is back, because that's getting there. Do you guys know where I'm going here? And do you know what those positions are? That's right. They're the most expensive. As far as what costs the most, average salary per player per position goes like this. Quarterback, edge, receiver, literally three spots we have like a very good quarterback, dominant edges, and dominant receivers, right? Cornerback, we have probably the best in the game in Jalen Ramsey. Offensive tackle, we have two of those guys if one doesn't retire. I mean, depending on what happens with some vets there, you could argue we don't have any true needs at those spots. And interior defensive line is next, by the way. And where do we rank in these positions in terms of our cost commitment? So right now, quarterback, 17th. I tell you what, two is better than 17th quarterback in the NFL. Receiver, 8th. What if I told you the Chargers, Seahawks, Bucks, Raiders, Broncos all pay more for their receivers than the Miami Dolphins do? Tackles were 6th, but O-line on balance is 26th. We're also due to repay three interior stars. That kind of tracks there. At the edge, 8th most money committed there. And at corner, 1st, but that's some Byron Jones left over. X will have some left over there. And Ramsey obviously paid very highly. But the other half of the positional, positional premium, running backs, the 12th most money. Tight ends, 21st. Interior D-line, 11th. Sealer got his extension. Wilkins on the 5th-year option was a big money maker this year. Off-ball linebacker, just 15th. And safety, 31st. And that's where your needs are, right? Well, we maybe need a corner when X is gone and you reduce that figure big time. But then that's why you draft Cam Smith and have him step into that spot and take over. We really need Cam Smith this year. You might have a need at safety. I like Deshaun for that role. You can wipe away a lot of those interior line issues with re-signing your own guys. You probably need an off-ball linebacker, provided you move on from 55. Is that Tyndall? Is it a draft pick? Is it a bargain free agent? Probably. Uh, Interior defensive line, if you move off Christian, that will go another direction, but hopefully we do not. And then tight end, you probably need it. You don't need a running back. Maybe you need additional edge. I'd run it back even with the injuries. And I'm talking about 43. Get me Van Ginkle back in the building, provided he agrees to another one-year deal here coming off that injury. So with all that in mind, with all those needs and potential money moving around and everything that could go into this, I put together a list of 10 guys. I love their tape and potential fit from their perspective of a current list of available free agents as of February 21st. And that list starts with Kenny Moore, a cornerback in Indianapolis, a five foot nine, 190 pound slot with a pro bowl to his name. It should be more than that over seven years. He's 29 in August. He has 17 career picks in 103 games. He has 89 starts and he has two pick sixes just this last year. Why is Kenny Moore atop the list, Travis? Well, I've always been a huge fan of his game. And sometimes you might worry about age getting close to 30 for a corner but 2023 was the best year of Kenny Moore's career. It's pretty rare that he misses time. He missed one game last year and five in 2022, but didn't miss a game in the two years prior. He's just shy of 4,000 snaps played those last two years. And while he is a primary slot, he's also played on the perimeter for a Colts team that really had some cornerback depth issues the last couple of years. He's in the slot better than 70% of the time. He averages right around two pass rush attempts per game, which is effective as hell. He has sack production, pressure, impacting plays, which all also shows up in his run game production where he made 34 stops last year. Remember last season when all I could talk about was Cater Kohu's 22 stops in the run screen game? 34 for Kenny Moore this year. That was third most among slot cornerbacks. He also allowed 594 yards on 594 coverage snaps. We know that one is a great figure there, especially inside in the slot. His career cover numbers are outstanding. I don't usually like passer rating allowed because 
like the main job of the cornerback is to not be targeted, but also over a seven-year career, you begin to get a sample size, right? His passer rating allowed is 93.4 in his career. That's on 550 targets. And in fact, his yards allowed per coverage snap were the lowest of his career this last year. So much for a decline, right? In fact, corners this year had the, among corners, he had the fifth most tackles and second among slots. He also had eight TFLs, which was the most among a slot cornerback this year. He's a premier slot. He's shifty. He's physical. He has long speed. He loves to hit and take on blocks. He loves to tell you about it as well. I just can't say enough about Kenny Moore. He's my favorite player. I think, on the entire free agent list in terms of what the Dolphins could need and use in this defense. Derrick Henry, I don't view the running back position as a need, but even still, it's usually an area you can address somewhere in the draft or even low end of the free agent market, especially when you have what we have in the backfield. But the reason I list Derrick Henry here is for the solution I believe he could provide to one of the biggest things defenses did to slow us down late in the year. If you play too high against Derrick Henry, the ball goes there, and then you have to tackle the most physically imposing running back in the history of the NFL with a light box who also happens to run 4-4 on the back end. And if you don't get it fitted right and you miss your run fit and you have missed assignments, you now open up this fun Pandora's box of a 250-pound man who can get to top speed in three or four steps in a top speed that is 4-4. And you unleash that on your two safeties who are giving up 50 pounds of this man to try to tackle a moving semi-truck from a standstill position. And we've seen a lot of highlights that have become NFL lore as a result of that. Usually Derrick Henry stiff-arming some cornerback into oblivion. So this is more about a fit in terms of here's an issue, here's a one-step solve to that issue. Henry can still do it, man. Like, I know we all watched that finale last year and hope the Jags win that game against the Titans and turn the Sunday night football game into a lose and out situation for the Bills, but they couldn't stop Derrick Henry in that game. And what was considered a down year for him, he had 1,167 yards on 280 carries. He also scored 12 touchdowns, but that's common for him. He has not scored fewer than double-digit touchdowns since 2017. 12, 16, 17, 10, and 13, and 12. He'll be 30 this year. I'm sure he'll have a market, but man, what a fit he would be. If he doesn't have a job in like training camp, I'd be like, hey, hey, Derek, what, what, what you got going on this, this fall, man? C.J. Gardner-Johnson's next, and it's it's pretty much a Kenny Moore replica here, and it's whatever you want him to be, to be, be perfectly honest in terms of his position. Think Javon Holland. He can be one of the top slot guys. He can play too high. He can rush the quarterback. He can buzz from disguise, cover one, cover three looks. He's got the instincts, natural athletic ability, and perhaps the most bravado of anybody in the National Football League. He signed a one-year deal with the Lions last year and missed most of the season, played just three games, was back for the playoffs, actually picked off Baker Mayfield in that divisional round game. But that's just what he does. 12 career picks, a couple of forced fumbles, 39 plays in the football, 20 tackles for loss, 14 QB hits, four sacks. He just finds the football. 1,700 of his 3,300 career snaps are in the slot. He played a lot more free safety with the Lions and Eagles the last two years than he did with the Saints the previous couple years prior to that. He played 11 snaps in the post between 20 and 21, but then played 443 two years ago and 153 this year with Detroit. So if you want to be versatile and hide who's going where with that Holland Ramsey look, the way Baltimore did with Hamilton and Humphrey and Stevens and Millette, 
Then there's another guy that gets you a closer to achieving that ideal look, and that guy is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He's going to battle. He's feisty as hell. He might get a couple of flags on himself for taunting and being too much in your face, but he's a hitter and a playmaker who can really, if he gets a couple of wins early in the game, he can take a guy like like a Tyree Kill, for instance. Like He can take a guy like that out of the game because he can get in their head so well. He is a, a unique pr- player and prospect that I've always loved going back to his Florida days. Speaking of prospects I love, let's do one more here and then go ahead and take our last break of the show. Tight end Noah Fant. I think you're starting to see the first-round talent of him come out the last couple of years. A middle-of-the-field presence with high-end, tight-end speed who can contribute as a blocker. He's going into his age 26 season, and that's a pretty tried-and-true breakout age for some tight ends. I mean, look at the specimen aspect of it that you're buying in on. Was literally 98th percentile among tight end in vertical jump, broad jump, shuttle, three-cone, 40-yard dash, 20- and 10-yard splits, and that showed up on Seahawks tape all year long. He's six foot four, 250 pounds. He's an F tight end, a move tight end, more pass catch than anything else he's caught 32 last year he caught 32 414 and didn't have a touchdown I think there's enormous untapped potential there though because he only missed two games in a five-year career the targets were way down last year just 43 but when he was a 90 target player in Denver and with Seattle over 10 yards per catch with 62 and 68 grabs I mean he averaged four touchdowns per year prior to this year and was consistently a 600 yard receiver who blocks because you go back over his tape at Iowa or Denver or in Seattle there's wide zone runs where he's the leading charge around the corner and making these Julian Hill type of blocks I think this is a fit for your split flow action, your jet and cheat motion. And the more I study him, the more I think that I might have him too low here. And I also think calling him an F tight end might not be fair. He might just be a tight end because he looks like the part in terms of blocking. And I think I've just convinced myself the move here is to sign Fant and then draft Corley in the second round. You can upgrade the team pretty good that way. Let's go ahead and take a break right there. Come back on the other side, finish up the final free agents here, and I'll give you a mock 2024 lineup. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got, what, three players in right there? Let's go ahead and finish up the list here on the third segment of the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast and start with a receiver. Kendrick Bourne, one, 205 pounds, exceptional track record of giving his absolute all in the blocking game, making tough catches, being dependable in terms of not missing games and always being where he's supposed to be. I mean, to start your career with literally the first year of Shanahan in San Francisco, then to get signed by McDaniels-led Patriots offense in 2021, a system that is famous for incredibly for being incredibly tough on wide receivers to pick up and learn and master, and then to go on to have a 55 805 
numbers in his first season, that's pretty damn good. Now, he is coming off a torn ACL. He suffered against us in October, but this is one of those rare situations where I feel like you almost have no guesswork, which is rarely the case in free agency. It's a good, to me, supplemental option to give you a fallback if you don't get the type of progress you hope for from Eric Ezukama that you hope he has in year number three. Kendrick Bourne, a really good low-end option, I think, in my opinion here for the Dolphins. Mike Unwenu for the Patriots. Here's your offensive line meet. Back-to-back Patriots. Look, we talked about it. As good as the line was at times this year, the interior three and playing against power in general struggled to stay healthy and to hold up against bigger defensive lines. And Unwenu is a pretty natural fit at guard who can also play tackle and do it well. I'd actually be surprised if he gets out of New England because 350-pound guys that move like him don't grow on trees, but also he could probably garner tackle money, and if you go big guard money, do you just go to Rob Hunt with that? Either way, but I wanted to put him on here because he's the best player on the crop, in my opinion, and his year-to-year pass block efficiency grades are 97.3, 98.7, 98.1, and 98.1. Again, he's a mauler in the run game, a very, very good player, Mike Unwenu. Curtis Samuels next. I was big on him in 2021 as a free agent. We got Will Fuller instead, whoops, uh, when he was up for that new deal. I know every time we discuss a wide receiver, sometimes just in general, but when we discuss one with similar traits to 10 and 17, there's going to be pushback about the overkill at the position. But in my mind, adding another one of those skill sets just accentuates what each of them do really well a little bit more. Another guy they have to keep eyes on to take eyes off of your other guys. Another guy that if he's single covered can flip the game. Weapons, 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 man. It's hard to believe he'll be just 28 in August. It feels like he's been playing in the NFL for 12 years now. He's caught 62 for 613 and four this year. He's been a 90-100 target guy in that range, really, each of the last five years, sans 2021 when he missed 12 games. And then this year, of course, the commander's offense was awful. But think jet sweeps, think slot speed, think vertical threat, think backfield alignments. He caught five of eight deep targets this year which doesn't meet the threshold for qualifiers, but it would have been the highest catch rate on deep balls if it did. He played 15 snaps in the backfield, 404 in the slot, and 150 out wide. He caught 40 of 57 targets from the slot for 326 and three touchdowns. So definitely a position of need there for Miami and something he could fill in hopefully a more bargain-level free agent contract. Isaiah Simmons is next. Kind of like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you want matchup pieces, right? Guys that are flexible to play different roles from multiple positions. I mean, that's what made Isaiah Simmons a top-10 draft pick once upon a time. They never quite seemed to figure out what they wanted him to be in Arizona, so he's dealt to the Giants for cheap. And Wink Martindale finds some roles for him while learning a new defense en route to a year where he matched his pressure high. He came close and stops career high, and he had the best cover numbers of his career. In fact, he was PFF's highest-graded coverage linebacker. And if you want to talk about a player profile, I mean, 90th percentile, literally everything, at six foot three, 240 pounds, running like a wide receiver. Gosh, he was fun at Clemson. A nice guy that could be a potential one-year bargain type of deal there for the Dolphins. Julian Blackman, a safety from Indianapolis. Another college crush of mine. Blackman could fully unlock Javon Holland because he can be one of the top post safeties in the game with a good instinct for him to come downhill and flow and get an extra hat in the box in the fit. One of the surest tacklers when he decides to go, he sees it and he goes. You'll see him recognize pre-snap motion that kind of like takes a route out of his responsibility, out of his task. He'll see the run game action off that and just goes, man. He hits it. I think those are the kind of players that help you maximize other playmakers on your defense. He's six foot, he's six, uh, six feet tall. Wow. 202 pounds, has seven career picks, 12 tackles for loss. He had been almost exclusively a free safety until this year when they gave him nearly 500 snaps down in the box. The previous high was 70 and he made like 30 stops and has like the lowest missed tackle rate of his career 
by 7.4%. It's a hell of a player and a guy that I like quite a lot. And we finish up the list here, top 10, with Grover Stewart. How come nine of the 10 guys on my list here were some on some team with a variation of blue in their color? Weird. Either way, Grover Stewart is the definition of an ass kicker. He actually gets flagged sometimes for playing through the echo of the whistle. There's some Indomitian Sue in terms of his temperament there. And I can bet, you know, kind of like I can beat everybody up out here and they all know it. He's six foot four, 315 pounds. He's a three tech with one tech shade ability as well, who probably doesn't have the same end and five tech chops that Christian or Zach Sealer has. Like you probably don't kick him out to play end probably ever, but he collects stops for a living 24 this year, despite missing six games. He had 38 the year prior on just 386 rundown snaps. He played 781 total snaps at career high that year. So he's not giving you Christian snaps, but he's, you know, close I guess he's an incredible building block inside because he almost never gets washed out holds the point against double teams he can get movement displacement as a rusher which is a key for a defense that wants to run games and green dog and delay blitz you he's just a force so there you go 10 guys that have caught my eye in the free agent planning portion of the calendar on Friday I'll do some prospects and this will kind of I guess give it away here on the podcast but I wanted to have a mock lineup for you guys here just for the fun of it because it's the offseason if I gave you this roster in September how would you feel Tua at quarterback, Raheem and Achan at running back, Tyreek and Waddle, your top two receivers, Malachi Corley in the second round from Western Kentucky as your third receiver, Noah Fant as your tight end who you signed in free agency. Those are your five skill position guys on the field. In addition to your quarterback, your offensive line in this scenario is Teron Armstead. My left guard spot is where I kind of went cheap. I signed Isaiah Wynn on a one-year cheaper deal, and that has to be like even cheaper than it was this year because you just can't count on the guy to play 16, 17 games. And he's paired with Liam Eikenberg. I know you guys aren't going to like that, but Wynn, Liam, left guard, I swear it's the one spot I have a kind of a hole here on the roster. So Tua, Heeman, Achan, Tyreek, Waddle, Corley, Fant, Armstead, Wynn slash Liam, Powers Johnson's my first round pick there at center. Robert Hunt, I re-signed him at right guard, and Austin Jackson's the right tackle. On defense, my front goes Wilkins, Sealer, Phillips, and Chubb. I brought back Gink on a cheap one-year deal after the injury. Well, not cheap, but cheap comparative to what he maybe could have gotten without being injured. Uh, Long and Simmons are my linebackers, a free agent ad in in Isaiah Simmons. And then my secondary is the same. Ramsey, I I got rid of X. Cam Smith at the other perimeter cornerback. My slot is Cater Kohu, but I also drafted Shaw Smith Wade to compete with him out of Washington State. And then Holland and Elliott at safety. That's my time today. That is the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. If somebody tells you I'm a propaganda machine who can't be honest, tell them otherwise. Also, follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy, he's coming home.